welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. And let's open with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. Hey, Julian. Hey, Harvey. Serenity Prayer. Grant me the serenity. Grant me the serenity. Accept the things that don't change. Courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom is now the difference. I will not mind it. I will not mind it. Okay, everyone. Um, As I discussed last week, this is not a typical essay meeting. It's more a, uh, at least half of it will be chatting where you ask questions and I try to give you answers uh, or make them up as I go along. Uh, You always want to check out whatever I say. This I make this stuff up as I go along. And people then think it's what Essayist says when it's really just my opinion. So remember, I'm not speaking for Essay. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober 36 years and six months. Um, I told the story last week that one of my sponsees kept asking me to do a series and I kept saying no. And then about a week and a half ago, he said, please. And I surrendered and I said, okay. And as soon as I said, okay, the thought came to me, why don't you talk about and then question and answers on all the articles you have written for the essay over the years. And so today's article is about lust is the problem. I'm going to give you a little background on the article, and then I'm going to actually, even though I usually just spontaneously talk, I'm going to read you kind of it's a short article going to read you right from the article that was published in the essay in uh, 2009. Uh, Roy died in 2009. Roy was the founder of our fellowship. In other words, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Roy. I'd be either dead from AIDS, I had had sex with 
hundreds and hundreds of people. Or I would have been in legal trouble because my disease was progressing. But I wouldn't be here today. It was because this man in 1979 called Roy Kay started essay. Uh, so before I start the talking about the article, I was meditating this morning and out of nowhere came this thought, I don't want us to forget Roy. So I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about Roy historically. Roy Kay, because it was because of him I wrote the article. Because he kept emphasizing lust, not sexually acting out, lust. And I was afraid when he died, the whole concept of lust would be forgotten. So this is basically a little background for the article. What did I do? I Googled it this morning when I woke up. Roy K, founder of Essay. Roy Kuljian is the founder of Sexaholics Anonymous. He was born March 1st, 1927, and died September 15th, 2009, at the age of 82. So it's been about 11 years. Uh, people aren't even aware, many new people, that he wrote the essay book. Harvey didn't write it, other people didn't write it, he wrote it. And all those stories in that book are about him and his wife. And he wrote Recovery Continues. And all the stories in there are about him. That's simple. I believe he was divinely inspired to give us this program. Now, here I, here I am giving him so much credit, but let me tell you, I gave that man more problems and trouble than you could imagine. I always rebelled against authority figures. In my mind, he was an authority figure. Always rebelled. That was part of my pattern. And I gave that man a hell of a lot of problems for years and years. And about a few years before he died, I made an amend to him. But then I made an amend he never knew 
that still lives to today, a living amen. I never say a negative thing about him, and I never let myself think a negative thought about him. That's my living amen. Through him, my life has been saved. If not my physical life, my spiritual life. And I'm forever grateful. Because there was nothing before 1979. It did not really catch on till about 1983, when Jess L. from Montana, Roy came from L.A., California, Simi Valley. But Jess L., Jess Lair, had helped be the founder of Emotions Anonymous and started writing all these books in the 1970s. And one of his books became, I guess, a million book sale back then, called I Ain't Much Baby, But I'm All I Got. And so Jess would go, and his wife heard about Roy and S.A., got Jess involved. And Jess and his wife would travel all over for their workshops, for I ain't much baby, but I'm all I got. And they would also send the apple seeds. In America, we call it Johnny Appleseed. He would go across the country putting out seeds. So Roy was putting out seeds, and Jess was. And so Sylvia from Oklahoma City is a product of Jess's connection when he visited there. That was in 1983. I came in in 1984 when things had already had the nucleus of beginning. I came in, and I keep telling you all this, I came in before we had an essay book. Why do I keep bringing this up? Brought it up last week, too. Because the essay book is not our basic text. Roy says in the essay book, the AA literature is our text. And essay book is on top of it. Because he assumes you know the first 164 pages of the AA book. Regretfully, the SA book has become the main text without the background of the 12 and 12 and the SA book. SA uh, is producing more literature, so perhaps someday things will be really different. But in the essay book that originally came out, 
the emphasis was strongly on the disease model, like the AA book. But as the book developed, the SA book, it started to have other directions also. I bring this up because we're going to now talk about lust. And I'm going to read to you the article I wrote right after Roy died. Only take me a few moments. If I ever find it. It's called Lust is the Problem. It was published in the essay in 2009. Now that Roy has passed, it is incumbent on all of us to carry on his primary emphasis of recovery from lust. Unlike other S fellowships, where the emphasis is on the powerlessness of acting out, we in SA emphasize our powerlessness over lust. Through Roy's guidance, our first step says, we are powerless over lust and our lives have become unmanageable. It does not say we are powerless over sexually acting out and our lives become unmanageable. Yet, as one sits in meetings, it seems the emphasis is more on sexual acting out than on lust. Perhaps that is why there is a great deal of relapsing in our fellowship. Perhaps many members never do get sober from lust, even though they will for a time get sober from sexually acting out. Can one imagine how a recovering alcoholic would function in AA if even though the person was not drinking alcohol, the person would begin opening a bottle of liquor throughout the day and sniffing it frequently? Is this not what many sexaholics in recovery try to do? The essay book clearly states that lust is the driving force behind our sexual acting out. What is lust? According to the essay book, lust is an attitude that a demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires. Lust is not sex and it is not physical. It seems to be a screen of self-indulgent fantasies separating us from reality. That's what the essay book said. It has been very difficult for me to convince people in essay that sexual fantasies are a no-no. Not because it is morally wrong, in my opinion, 
But because it doesn't work if comfort and serenity is our goal for recovery. Jess L. would say, the first look is on God. The second look is on me. Whether it is the look or the fantasy, it is still in our heads first. If I let the two-dimensional sexual photograph become a cinema, a motion picture, that I am on my way to increasing my chance for sexually acting out. If I am powerless, then how can I stop the static in my head from going into fantasy? I cannot. I can, however, surrender. I personally use the many suggestions in the chapter how I overcame my obsession with lust to help me prevent the first thought from turning into fantasy. I know this works. How do I know it has worked for me for over 25 years? It can work for you too. It's now worked for me for over 36 years. Hey, Jim and Nashville. Now I'm going to give some help. Fire and brimstone. <laughs> Most members never actually join SA. They say they're members, but they stay on the outside. They don't know it. Why? How can I say that? Because the definition of membership in SA is different than the membership requirement in AA. In AA, it says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Not SA. It has two requirements. A desire, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And become sexually sober. Most people come to SA to not act out, to get sexually sober. They don't come here to stop lusting. Anything but that. It is so difficult for people to grasp. Now, I'm not saying this in a looking down sort of way. I'm saying it after 36 years and watching at least 3,000 people come and go in the fellowship over the years. It's, it's so difficult to think in reverse. The sexual acting out is not producing the lust. 
the lust is producing this sexual acting out. If you sniff that bottle of booze enough, you're going to drink it. In AA, they say, if you hang around a barbershop long enough, you're eventually going to get a haircut. This program is so simple, most people can't get it. It's too simple. We're very intellectual people. We want some sophisticated, esoteric type of explanation. So what is this all about, this fantasy, which is lust? Which is a form of sex with self. You're there having a motion picture. You're all alone. You're getting stimulated. Like I said last week, it might not be sex with self, but what the heck do you call it? I got a call today, you know, People hear what I say as like rules, laws. No, I'm just bringing this out. Because no one's going to get this perfect. It's impossible. We're not perfect beings. And thank goodness, Roy said, in the crucible of our experience, he didn't say, stop lust in this second. He's saying, Be, watch, become mindful of what it is you're doing, you're thinking. Now, how do I define sexual fantasies? Just my own definition, nothing to do with you all. Mine. From what Jess taught me. The first thought is on God. I am going to see dressed people naked. That's what my brain does. The person, the woman, the man could be all dressed. I'm going to see them naked. The first thought is on God. That's how he made me. I see an orchid plant. I see genitalia, <laughs> female and male. In a plant. That's how my brain is made. The first thought is on God. That's how I was made. It's what do I do with that first thought? We can't not have the first thought. It's impossible. It's how I'm made. It's what do I do with that first thought? Do I nurture it? Do I build on it? Do I take this two-dimensional photograph that comes into my head and let it become 
a moving picture, a cinema. If I do, for me, not about you, for me, the phenomenon of craving begins. So the first drink isn't the first thought for me. It's what do I do with the first thought that makes it the first drink. Okay. I've done a lot of talking here. I'm going to open it up to some questions. Yes, this is a itchy subject. People get frightened. They start saying, oh, maybe I'm not sober. Maybe I'm not this. Maybe I'm not that. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about self-honesty. We're talking about walking along the edge of a cliff. Walking on a tightrope. How much can my brain do without the phenomenon of craving getting triggered off? Okay. So the rest of the time is going to be questions and answers. So we have a question from Dennis and reminder that uh the recording, uh, the talk is being recorded. So if you don't want to be recorded, you can just send the message either privately to me or in the chat. Go ahead, Dennis. Hey, Harvey and ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dennis, gratefully recovering sexaholic. Been sober since July 23rd, 2015. Um, when I first came into the program in 2015, I had over 50 years of acting out. One of my colleagues calls it field research. Um, and when my character defects would kick in, I went to my solution. Lust, at that point, was my solution. It soothed me. And then the lust turned to acting out. Um, it wasn't until I came into the program that I learned that lust was my problem. I never thought it was. I enjoyed lusting because it soothed me, um, made me forget about the things, the, uh, the jealousy, the anger, the fear, whatever it was. Um, but today, I don't have to do that. In one of the readings, it says, uh, today I'm not lust-free, but I'm free not to lust. I for sure am not lust-free. <clears throat> I can see, you know, a woman jogging on the street, and the first look, is on God. Sometimes I'm not perfect. I'll take that second look. I'll take the third look. Um, but what I don't do any longer, like I used to do, I would drive around the block sometimes, several times, just to see this woman over and over again. But through the grace of God and the fellowship, I don't have to be that person anymore. Um, so I want to ask you, Harvey, have you said you've seen thousands of people come and go in the room in your opinion is lust that problem that has all of these people leave us 
And what do I do for these 3,000? I've seen many people come and go. I feel that all I can do is pray for these people. Is there any form? Did you ever reach out to some of these people and check in? How you doing? I'll let you uh, answer that. Thank you. By the way, let me share because uh, my natural self is to lie. <laughs> I exaggerate, but I'll fit, tell you how I came up with at least 3,000 people. Uh, the first year in Nashville, a hundred people came through our room. A hundred and two people. I kept their names. At the end of the year, there were two of us left. So, I figured, even though we were, ha we're having like 49 meetings a week in Nashville, I took one meeting of a hundred people and I multiplied that year by 30 years. So I came out with a minimum of 3,000 people. 36 years, 36 I mean. A minimum of the amount of people I have seen come and go. This is one of the toughest acts in town. And there are a few reasons. One is people don't accept the first step about lust. They don't see the word. They see sexual. <laughs> we are powerless over sexually acting out. And our lives become unmanageable. Our brain somehow erases the word. Just does. It does not say we are powerless over sexually acting out. And yet, it is the most minimal topic that comes up in meetings. And I've watched it. Even when it comes up, within a few minutes, it gets switched to lust for power, lust for cars. No, I'm talking sexual lust, fantasies, motion pictures. Now, my sponsor taught me this program, all 12-step programs, are not about alcohol or lust or sex. It's about comfort. If I don't stay comfortable, I default to some addiction. So if I'm feeding my illness and I'm always in craving by actively lusting, I'm not going to be comfortable. And it's going to set me up, set anyone up for relapsing. And many people in this fellowship relapse. I'm not going to say this out of arrogance, just the opposite. 
I'm just too sick to relax. When I came in here at age 44, my disease was so advanced, kept giving my wife venereal diseases. Hundreds, sex of hundreds of people masturbating all the time. And I had no idea it was about all those thoughts in my head. I first had a detox. So we don't want to minimize sexual acting out. I first, for one day at a time, for 24 hours at a time, had to stop acting out. But once the acting out settles down, you're left with the lust. And that's where the relapse phenomenon starts coming in. Not because you're bad, it's because you're not aware it's a disease and lust is a drug, not from normal people. Normal people lust all the time. No big deal. Normal people can drink alcohol. I can't do it successfully. So we're not moralizing about lust. We're just talking about it as a drug that tends to bite you in your backside without you knowing it. And I've heard enough stories now that the stories are always the same, ultimately. Because the disease always lies to me in truth. Let me explain that. The disease lives in my brain. Whatever intelligence I have, my disease has the same intelligence, except it always lies to me. So it always wins. And it lies through truth. So it will say to me, Harvey, come on. What could that second look to be? Harvey, you don't have to walk out of the room when your wife's getting undressed. She's your wife. You're intimate with her certain times. You're okay. You can kind of stay in while she's undressing. It whispers to me in truth. But the truth is based on a normal person. I'm not normal. I have a defected brain. I'm not like other men. Other men can masturbate and women. Other men and women could have affairs. Other men and women could watch pornography. I cannot do it successfully. My life becomes unmanageable. Okay. Next question. Next question is from Ilya in Queens. Hi, Harvey. Uh, thank you for your share. Take care, everyone, for hosting. My question is, uh, first I want to say, I this is definitely my experience. I was looking for my last relapse, and I realized that, you know, I'm just sniffing in 
plus and eventually I backed out. And my question is, is that like a lot of times I'll be driving and say, okay, before I leave the house, I'm not going to act out. I want to not lust. I'll make a phone call. I'll drive down the, like the road. Then next day I already checked out 15 girls. And it's like, it's so habitual over so many years. So my question to you is how do we, or how did you get past that habitual of turning your head and, just constantly lusting so much, like what practical things you did to slowly but surely get past the lusting. Thanks. I'm so glad you brought it up because the whining I hear from the fellowship, Harvey, are you saying I have to avoid 50% of the population? Well, I'm an equal opportunity employer. I enjoy it when I'm in my disease with men as much as I do with women. There is no one safe. So what do I do? Where do I go? That's why whenever the question that puts the hair on top of my head, it makes me go wild. <laughs> Love and tolerance is our coat. I forget it sometimes when men say we can't have women in our meetings. Too much triggers. I can't have men at meetings as well as women at meetings. Does that mean I should never go to a meeting? So what do I do? Well, we call it the essay salute. I used to pick up hitchhikers. For sex. That was one of my MOs. I am powerless. People will not accept the concept of powerlessness. It means you cannot stop doing it. What would I do while I was driving? If I saw a speck on the side of the road, miles away, with just a little speck, I immediately did what in Nashville we call the essay salute. I take my hand and I block it. I block the side view. Now, it works for a horse. Why wouldn't it work for me? They put blinders on horses. I need blinders. The retina of the eye somehow can trigger off craving concepts, conditions. So I block the view. Blocking views with my hand has been a lifesaver for me for decades now. People, I do use the internet. Not that I recommend it for everyone. I came into the program before there was the internet. So the internet was not a, an issue for me when it came in. But today, I do the same method. I have my hand up 
to the side of the screen in case anything's showing up on the side of the screen. My motive's good. I'm looking up something important. Something comes up. I just block it. The solutions are so simple, people won't believe it. You know, I, I recommend something people just laugh at. And it's just saved me. Whenever someone shares a story at a meeting, and I remember how I did it, and I go into immediate shame, I feel it. I wipe it off. I just wipe the shame off. It's just nasty energy. I wipe it off. It disappears. People won't believe me it works. You sit in some meetings, you know who my sponsees are. All of a sudden, you'll see them doing this in a room. Next question. Asaf C. in Israel. Hello, guys. How are you? Uh, my name is Asaf, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, hey, hello. I have a question, uh, Harvey. Um, like you said, in the last four years, I've seen hundreds of people coming into the SA meetings, and I think 80% of them, 85, maybe 90% of them are all gone. They really tried, but they couldn't get um, the solution, and they just left. Some of the people stayed, and most of them, they're clean, but they always talk about in the meetings that they're suffering and it's hard for them to not to to look again on the girl on the street or so on now what i see in the last four years in the program and i want to see what do you have to say about it it's because i'm going also to ga and na and aa and everybody share the same problem like we have people in ga and na and aa they struggle with sex they have issues with sex I don't have issues with drugs and alcohol. They have issues with sex, like I have, or with lust. And the same thing happens with OA. Everybody has issues with food, food and sex. This is so powerful. In America, 40% of the people are obese. 40% from 100 people, 40 people are overweight. And I know that food and sex, it is something that I want to do beside the fact that I'm a sexaholic. I need to eat, I need to survive, and I wanna, I wanna have sex, whatever, to, 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 to have kids. I'm programmed for that. Now that's the problem. That's why I can see that it's so hard for people to stick because what you're saying is that I have to cover my eyes all the time on the street because walking in the street in Tel Aviv, in Israel, it is like walking in, in, in crazy place. All the girls are half nude walking on the street. This has just become crazy. Now, if I want to walk in Tel Aviv today, it is like that. It's not like a horse. It is like a, a, a blind horse. This is madness. And this is so hard. This is so hard to be like extremely sober in those days. Let's get into the solution. Okay, let's get into the solution. We know the problem. It's impossible. 
very difficult. Impossible. But are you willing to go to any length or not? That simple. Are you willing to go to any length or not for 24 hours? It's that simple. So I could not go downtown alone, Nashville, for two years. Because if I crossed a certain viaduct bridge, I would end up down at the pornos acting out. I had to stay on a certain side. It's not easy, but it's simple. You might not be a sex addict, you, you all. You could get away with it, hopefully. I can't. I end up getting venereal diseases. I end up giving them to my wife. I wish everyone liked that they could go around and notice all these things. No, my life becomes unmanageable. So to answer what you're saying is as embarrassing as it is, when I'm walking with my wife, I have to say, Nancy, let's cross the street. I have to cross the street. For years I had to do that. Now I've learned to keep my head down. I've learned other things through the steps. What is the 11th step promising us? The first step says we are powerless. The 11th step says we get the power back. Praying only for the knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. I now have the power to move across the street. I now have the power to put my hand up. And it's not easy, but it's simple. And if the disease isn't bothering you too much, go for it. It's not a sin. What's, the, what's wrong with noticing a beautiful woman if you can handle it? Or a handsome guy, if you can handle it, go for it, man. This is not a sin-based program. It's a disease-based program. Now, part of your good question was, I have seen over 36 years, many people who came to SA not die. They left. They stayed for about a year. I see them in AA meetings 36 years later. They got what they needed from SA. They needed a place to get rid of all the shame and guilt. But they weren't sex addicts. They were probably sex abusers, whatever it was. This is not a cookie cutter. We're not here to tell you you are one, you're not one. You're the only one to tell you that. And this is not a scare tactic program. 
The big book talks about it. Hey, if you can drink like a gentleman, go for it, man. It feels good. Sex feels wonderful. If you want it, go for it. It doesn't work for me. If I do it outside of my marriage, inside my head, or with self, or if I go back and start abusing my wife again in frequency. It doesn't work for me. I just get sicker and sicker and more uncomfortable, and I love the comfort I get a lot of the time from this program. Next question. So I'm trying to go in the order that they come in. This is a question that came in privately. Trying to also try to stay on topic a little bit, but this is a little bit about uh, the fear of the fear of lust coming back in after being sober for more than a year, and then and then and and the need, the desire to go dating. Uh, you know, how can he do sober dating with this fear of lust coming back in? Fear is a very destructive element. Don't believe all this programming about fear. Fear God, fear this, fear that. Doesn't work for addicts. Fear is another drug for an addict. That's why in this program we hook on to God's love, not the fear of God. So God didn't bring me or you this far to drop you now. And this program is not about being a monk. Nowhere does it say it's about being in a monastery. How do you know it's true? This in the essay book, and recovery continues, I think it's there, especially. It keeps saying, Roy keeps saying, and in my periods of abstinence. He didn't say, in my lifelong recovery accidents, he'd have sex and then he'd stop having sex for a while if it got too much. This is not a monastic order. But that's not the problem about dating. Dating has nothing to do with women or men. It has to do with obsession of the mind. You cannot take a woman out for coffee and say, I'm going out for coffee. You're obsessing, well, she, you're with her, and all you're thinking about, does she want to go out the next time? Is she pretty enough? Is she smart enough? Does she like me enough? The obsession of the mind starts going wild. And once you let that obsession of the mind creep in, Lust will soon follow. This lust is another obsession in the mind. So you have to be so careful with any obsession of the mind. Where am I getting this from, Harvey? No, from the doctor's opinion. It says it's a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. So dating isn't the problem. It's the obsession of dating. Because you're not asking a girl out for coffee or a guy out for coffee, 
you're immediately thinking about the wedding and the children and how it's going to work out. And is sex going to work? And I'm going to do it okay? Will I be good enough in sex? In the meantime, you haven't even gone out with her for a cup of coffee. Everyone looks so serious. <laughs> Man, listen up. This ain't a funeral. This is it's an essay meeting, Gary. What? He said it's an essay meeting. I can't hear you. Next question? Yes. Uh, well, we have another question that was written in about basically, you know, constantly relapsing and repeating the same cycle over and over again. I don't look at this addiction seriously. How can I be more serious? I'm stumped. I can't make anyone more serious until they reach their bottom. You couldn't have made me more serious. I had to reach a bottom. And you don't know you're reaching it until you've reached it. <laughs> you can't say, I'm going to reach your bottom. You know, you know you can't live with it and you can't live without it. Oh, it's a terrible place to be, that part. Where you're going to die if you don't do it, and you're going to die if you do. And then this miraculous thing happens. You say, I give up. I surrender. One of the most dangerous words I hear in this fellowship when I get calls, I'm struggling, Harvey, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, I'm struggling with that beautiful girl, I'm struggling with money, with my job. The minute you struggle, you lose. We have to surrender. I'm without power. And what helps in surrender is to know there is nothing you could do to make God stop loving you. He loves me. If he exists, I have my own God who loves me. <laughs> I make him up. <laughs> I mean, where the heck is this God? I make him up. I feel so good to have a God who loved me so much. He watched me in those pornos. He watched me in everything I did. And he loved me so much. He brought me to essay. Man, what love. And when I love myself enough, It's easy to reach a bottom and say, I surrender. Next question. Um, we're coming towards the end, I think. Um, Kareem, 
Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Harvey. Um, it's Karim uh, from Egypt. Well, I, I, I joined SA back in uh, November 2019, and then I started the program in Jan, and then I became sexually sober for nine months. But during this sexually sober period, I was doing a lot of insane things. I didn't do, I didn't know how to stop it. I just walking on the street and then have a look, only one look, and then everything just went crazy. I went to my sponsor, I told him, I do have something that I need to check a doctor. He told me, okay, just go to the doctor. I went to the doctor, the doctor smiled and told me, he laughed at me and, and he told me, you are a sexaholic, get back to your sponsor. I went to my sponsor and he made me read the third uh, chapter from the big book, more about alcoholism. And I found out my problem is the first look, I'm taking the first shot from last. And then we agreed together to reset the counter and announce that in a meeting that I'm not sober anymore. And to be very honest, after 40 days of sobriety from last, I feel okay. And not only that, my wife told me, it's been a year you are trying to tell me that you changed a lot. I didn't recognize that, but for the last month only, I was saying, okay, I didn't change. I stopped lusting. Well, the question is, from time to time, I would like to, to, to say that, no, I'm sober from 5th of January 2020, and instead of I'm sober for 40 days only. So from last, yes, I'm sober for 40 days, but from sexual acts, I'm, I'm sober from 5th of Jan 2020. So at the end, I know it's only 24 hours, but uh, that's the question. Shall I just count from 5th of January or from 40 days only? Thank you, Harvey. That's very much between you and your sponsor. Um, I discussed last week the concept of that I needed a more of a sobriety definition than was in the program. Um, this, I had acting out that I needed something for more than I, I was doing. Uh, to thine own self be true. Um, I can't answer that because I personally don't measure sobriety about lust. I measure sobriety by what Roy says. True sobriety is progressive victory over lust. So there's always more that gets revealed. So I had to learn what lust was, let's say, in my marriage and then have certain things I, I worked on. But this is the top plate 
it's hard to know what's underneath until the one on top's taken off. So there's always something new that pops up. I, th for me, it's very clear. No sex with self and no sex outside your marriage. And then you and your sponsor tweak it between you two. This is not a cookie cutter program. This is not one size fits all. This is not a religion. There are no leaders. There is no organization. They're just a group of drunks who share their experience, strength, and hope. Most people can go into a locker room where naked men are. Almost everyone, in the, the men in this program. It's not a loss of sobriety. But for me, it would be a loss of sobriety. Because I know my disease. And I'd go, and then I'd go again, and nothing would happen, and I'd go again. And before I know it, I'd be acting out. So it is a bottom line for me, but for most people, it's not. Many people cannot open up a computer. They're lost the minute they open up their computer. I have no problem opening my computer. So it's not a cookie cutter program. And this is where you and your sponsor come in and, and just take it one day at a time. Okay. Next week, we're going to do the article on being restored to sanity. We minimize this concept. This is second step says we're restored to sanity which means in the first step, we're really insane. So next week, hopefully, we will talk about insanity and how this all ties in with our sexual addiction. Do we have time for another question? No, I think that's about it. Or you have one more question coming up? We have a bunch, but we're past uh, four, so it's totally up to you. Let me take one more and... Go ahead, John. Hello, Joel F. Uh, from uh, Long Island. Um, hey, Joel. I am a uh, definitely a uh, a loss addict and in recovery. Um, quick question I had, which might or might not be the forum for this, but it's been a bone of contention in uh, in intergroup where I've uh, been for many years uh, about the um, you know about in terms of recovery about um, having uh, you know having this uh, this thing when it talks about you know an asterisk within in the uh, discussion about being a man and a woman in marriage do you want to get drunk anyone want to get drunk 
get involved in that topic. <laughs> it's a hot potato. You will always be burned. I never talk about it. Mm. It's exclusionary, though. Because of one thing. One and only one thing. Unity. The first tradition. And that is what was decided by our board. Mm. And thank God there are many other S-fellowships. And we do not have to become... Um, crusaders for any one opinion because it's been decided. It's that simple. So anything that causes that stirring up, and let me tell you, New York had the most difficult time of anywhere in the world because New York had one of the biggest programs back in 1984, and I watched how this topic, and hopefully maybe you weren't here last week, but my talk was about this is the topic that scapegoats the true problem. What is sex with self? If you spend enough time worrying and talking about what is the definition of marriage? You never have to deal with in a fellowship. The one subject that has been avoided for 36 years that I've been around, what is sex with self? And that was last week's talk. And there's an article in the essay that I wrote, what is sex with self? And it goes into just this. Because in life, there are many scapegoats we use to avoid what's so difficult for us to deal with. Okay? So I'm glad you brought it up, but I just lied. Because I'm not glad you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. It's a, a question that I'm... It's there, and it's there. It's there. And thank mm -hmm. God he gave other um, choices to people uh, if they don't like it. And what usually happens, and I'm going to tell you this on not only about the gay issue, happens with heterosexual stuff. Mm -hmm. where people are living with someone or whatever. You know... This is all a unity, arbitrary. We get together and we, we just take it one day at a time and we try to keep the unity of the fellowship intact. Or else we all drown. It's that simple. We all drown. So I stay clear of the subject. <laughs> Thank you for your candor. Sure. Thank you. That's it. Hopefully those who can make it will be working on insanity next week. Then we're going to do sex and marriage. Um, 
if we get a response, we'll see as we go along. There are about 13 articles. I just wrote six topics. Uh, some other articles that if, if there's interest, we'll have one's called The Fungus of the Soul. One is a program based on joy and love. Another is uh, Letting Go of My Secret Life. Another is surrender to the process. Another is healing through bringing the message. There are other topics, but in the meantime, we'll see what interest we have in the ones I looked at. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.